You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. What a way to start things off, huh? Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. And Father, I ask that you would come and um, bless uh, the preaching of your word. And I pray, Father, that you would give us your spirit, that you would illuminate the meaning of these verses and that you would come and speak to each and every one of our hearts and minds. Lord, I know that when I ask you to do that, that uh, I'm asking you to do something that is impossible for me to do, um, but a piece of cake for you to do. I know that for me as a human to step into this pulpit and preach this word, um, it's impossible for me to speak to every heart and mind in this room, but you Father, who sees all things and knows all things and is present at all times, you have the great and awesome ability to do just that through um, an imperfect human like me as I preach. So, Father, I ask you would do that. Pray, Father, that you would come and be healer to those who are wounded, be strength to those who are weak, be a word of encouragement, even a word of warning, and even a, a word of caution to those who are walking um, in rebellion. So, Father, I pray that you would do that and just reveal to us all of your great majesty and love towards us. Jesus, what he said? Amen. So there are <clears throat> questions oftentimes that I think uh, nag us back of our minds. I don't know if you have had some experience with that where you have questions that just kind of nag you. In the back of your mind, there's a question that often nags me in the back of my mind. It's kind of a reoccurring question that keeps popping up like you know, some of those stupid little uh, uh, pop-up windows that you get on your computer, maybe when you get a virus, or um, those ones that just pop up, those, those kind of those annoying ads. This is a question like that that continues to pop up in the back of my mind. It's not something that just goes away. It's not something I can hide from. It's not, it's not something I can just minimize or dismiss. That question is this question. It will be on the screen for you. The question is, how do I do this? Ever ask yourself that question when faced with some circumstance or situation? You ask yourself this question, how do I do this? Sometimes it's motivated just purely by the desire to want to do well. Motivated by the desire sometimes to not fail. The motivations could be endless just as the circumstances could be endless. When I imagine uh, um, the ways that we might ask this question, um, I imagine it maybe sounding like this, like, how do I do this? How do I do money management, right? How do I do um, balance between work, play, rest? How do I do marriage? Anybody ever ask that question? How do I do marriage? How do I do parenting? If you're a parent, then, then you no doubt have asked that question a lot. How do I do this? Especially in the middle of the night when the kid is crying and won't shut up and grow sleep. How do I do this? Right? Um, how do I do recovery from an addiction? 
How do I do leadership in a business? How do I do ministry? How do I do conflict resolution? How do I do spiritual disciplines? How do I do evangelism? How do I do maintenance on my home? I don't know if that's a real spiritual question, but all things are spiritual, so there's something spiritual to that. How do I do obedience to God's commands? Again, I think the circumstances of the situations, um, I think they're kind of like an endless, uh, you know, like a, like a churning wheel that just kind of continues to, uh, to spin and kind of revolve. All the situations and circumstances just continue to revolve around that one single question. How do I do this? I want to ask that question, and I think about Joshua then in these verses as we've, where we've just met him. I imagine this question just rolling through his mind in those verses. I'd probably argue that this question has probably been rolling around in his mind for quite some time. Uh, Joshua, as a biblical character, when you think about Joshua, um, he's been around for a while. This isn't the first time that Joshua has popped up in uh, the biblical literature. Um, he's popped up a number of times. Now, in these verses um, that we've just read, Moses, um, the human figure that has dominated um, the last four books of the Bible, so it'd be Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Moses has dominated those four books and he's dead no longer alive he was the leader of israel for 40 years so just kind of let yourself set into that context for a while we don't have presidents that serve for 40 years they serve for four and upwards of eight but you imagine a leader serving leading you for 40 years and uh, he's dead Let's get some context on who Moses was when we think about this statement that Moses is dead. Moses is a giant of the faith, okay? I could fill the rest of our time with things about Moses, obviously because he was filling four books of the Bible. Um, in summary, though, uh, Moses was a, a hero of the Old Testament, really. Um, here are some of the things that he did. He, he was a man uh, who confronted the wicked king Pharaoh. You might remember that story. Let my people go, right? He confronted a wicked king, not without an argument with God prior to that, but that's besides the point. He did go and confront a wicked king. Um, Moses is the man who led Israel through the parting of the Red Sea. It would be an interesting journey, too. I mean, this is just what Moses has on his resume, okay? He's the man who spoke face-to-face -face with God. That would be um, interesting as well. He's the man who received the law of God on tablets, right? He crawled up Sinai. God comes down, etches the law, Ten Commandments. Probably all maybe seen parts of that old movie, at least. He's the man who uh, dealt with rebellion. This, I always found this to be a very fascinating and very scary story. He dealt with rebellion among God's people when he came back down from Sinai by melting down that golden calf, grinding it up into a gold powder, mixing it with some water, making the people who had rebelled drink it, and then has his leadership team come in and off him. Like, that's a, a wild story. This is what Moses has on his resume. He also, uh, not to mention, wrote the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He wrote those five books. That man, Moses, is dead. No longer here. Uh, the cool thing about the fact that Moses is dead is it proves that he's not superhuman. So we can all go, Phew. he's a hero for sure, but he's not superhuman. He's just a human. He's no different than you and I. No different than Joshua. 
Joshua is also a human being, right? And Joshua, as a human being, is being called up to the plate to take a swing at leading. He's being called up to the plate to lead the people of Israel into the promised land now that Moses is dead. So shift away from Moses and just think about Joshua. That's what's happening in these two verses. The first thought that strikes my mind is that these are some pretty big shoes to fill, right? I'm going to succeed Moses. I'm going to lead after he led. Those are some pretty big shoes to fill. You don't want to fail when you step into those shoes. Agreed? Anybody ever uh, get called up to a big task? You feel like it's huge? Take over for somebody that led previously to you, and now the responsibility is yours. I don't want to fail. I want to succeed. Can you imagine the questions uh, that are rolling through Joshua's mind? Again, I think the question is, how in the ever-living heck do I do this, right? I'm not sure how to do this moving forward. I can imagine him just thinking in his mind, I'm, I'm only the assistant to Moses, okay? I'm only the assistant leader to an iconic leader who did all these crazy things. Um, not to mention the people that uh, Joshua is supposed to lead. I can see Joshua thinking in his mind, um, have you noticed, God, that these people are absolutely nuts? Right? I think, uh, I think he might have asked God, have you, have, you, have you seen your people? Have you seen your family and the things that they do? And Do, do you remember, Lord, some of the, the stories that I saw Moses lead them through? So I just I imagine Joshua looking back over 40 years of Moses' leadership as his assistant, the crazy antics of God's people, I, I would probably submit that um, even the most courageous of men would probably shudder at the aspect uh, of, of the leadership that Joshua was getting saddled with in these moments. I'm just, again, putting myself in Joshua's shoes and asking you to do the same. Nevertheless, despite all of that, Moses is dead. Okay? No, we're not going to miss that point. He's not around anymore. He's not alive. He's dead. Joshua is God's chosen man, and God comes in these verses, and he speaks to Joshua with a command to go and to lead, and that command is then followed by a promise. The command is, go and lead my people. The promise is, I will give you an eternal land. So, so the command is followed by a promise. The command itself is, is full of action, if you think about it, right? Any command is typically action-oriented. Go do something. Put action to what I'm telling you to do. And to be sure, as we study this book, we are going to see a ton of action throughout the book. Um, but I, I, human action... Um, is worthless uh, if, if it's not uh, the result of an eternal promise. Now, you think about it. Um, think about it this way. How do you put action to anything that God calls you to do in the first place? Ask that question. How do I even put action to that? Right? Like, um, God calls you all sorts of things, right? Love your neighbor. Love your enemies, better yet. How do you do that? How are you going to be obedient to that? Keep your eyes pure. Run from sexual sin. Be honest. Don't gossip. Don't slander. Share the gospel. Practice the Sabbath. Don't be overcome with anger. Don't get intoxicated with anything. Like if you think about it, you go back and you read 
um, Le- Leviticus and, and in Deuteronomy and even portions of Numbers, those books, they're, they're in some regard long lists of laws, regulations. Do this, don't do that. How are you going to do that? Question. Now I would argue, uh, I, I think that the, the central message of all the scriptures, so I just, you know, I'm going to lay this out for you and then, then you have the answer and sermon's over. Not really because we're going to continue moving on through it, but I believe that all scripture would probably argue um, that, that the only way to put any command of God into obedient action begins first with trusting in an eternal promise keeper. If you don't trust in, in, in a promise keeper, you're, you're not going to be obedient to his commands on your life. Obedience begins and continues with trusting an eternal promise keeper. That's where obedience begins and continues. Now, as I mentioned before, this isn't the first time Joshua shows up in the Bible, right? So I'm super thankful uh, for the work of a, of a commentator named David Jackman. He's the author of the commentary that, that I primarily used for studying this. I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful for him because he did a really good job of summarizing uh, the narrative of Joshua's appearances prior to the book of Joshua. Um, and I think it's really helpful here. So spend a few minutes um, doing a little bit of a, 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 what you might call almost like an Old Testament survey. We'll see where Joshua pops up. And I want to do that to just set the context of this is who this man is. As we come back around to this is the man that God has called. And this is the man who's going to trust in God's promise. I want you to see who Joshua is. I want you to feel his experience. I want you to feel the weight of this moment. The first two verses of Joshua where God comes and says, hey, I'm calling you to go as I lead you to an eternal promised land that I've promised I will give it. So we're going to go back to Exodus. Think of uh, the book of Exodus. Think of where Joshua pops up here. In Exodus 17, Joshua is chosen by Moses. Okay? He's his assistant. Um, and he's chosen by Moses to go to war against some of Israel's enemies. Um, and Joshua is obedient. He does it. He, he steps up to the plate, picks up the bat, he swings, knocks it out of the park. He, he goes to war against some of Israel's enemies, and he is wildly successful in Exodus 17. Um, but on the back end of that episode, it's interesting that it kind of starts this way, that Joshua needs to be reminded um, that, yes, you were successful. Yes, that went really well. Yes, you were obedient to God, but God is the one who gives you the victory. God is the one who went before you, and God is the one who will continue to make war against your enemy. Uh, Moving forward, Joshua pops up again in Exodus uh, 24, and he's in the very near vicinity of Mount Sinai, okay? That mountain that that Moses crawls up to get the the law of God written on those tablets. And, um, And we know this because we see, as you're reading the story, you'll see Joshua coming down that mountain with Moses. And as they're coming down, you imagine the moment, right? You've just experienced God writing down what he wants for your life on these tablets in a really miraculous way. And he's just instructed you, go back and tell my people how to live. And you're coming back down, you've got to be oh so excited to pass along the very word of God to other people, right? And you get down to the edge of the mountain and what do you see? God's people living in an outright, literal orgy in the valley, worshiping golden. What do you do in that? How do you do this, right? 
the experience that Joshua has coming back down with Moses. I already explained the latter half of that. Grind up the golden calf. Powder. Drop it in the water. Dead. Talk about leadership development. Right? You think, that's, the, that's the leadership development plan, right? How about that? There's no simple management plan. There's no strategic plan for that. Those things are all good, but this is leadership development God's way. After that episode, we see Joshua with Moses at the tent of meeting in Exodus 33. And that's a a fascinating episode, too, because Moses goes into the tent of meeting where he meets with God face-to-face and talks to him. And he does this daily. You might even say multiple times a day. And, and, And Joshua, his assistant, is always with him. I don't think Joshua goes into the tent um, there may be some different arguments. I don't think he goes into the tent. I think, I think Joshua's right outside the tent. And, um, uh, and, and one time Moses comes out in this episode in, uh, in, in Exodus 33. Moses comes out and he's leaving and Joshua won't leave. Joshua stays there. Uh, it's much like uh, the disciples who are up on the mountain during the transfiguration when Jesus is like glowing. And the disciples are like, dude, can we just set up tent and stay here forever? Like, this is awesome. Uh, it's kind of that type of an episode. Moses is like, yo, Joshua, we got work to do. And Joshua's like, no, dude. Stay in here. I had a great picture of what it looks like in terms of leadership, that if you're going to go out and you're going to lead and you're going to serve, you best be spending some time in God's presence, and you best be the kind of person who doesn't want to leave God's presence, because the only way you're going to lead in a faithful way, especially when times get tough, which will happen in any leadership role, from cleaning toilets to stand on a stage, The only thing that's going to keep your skin in the game is if you spend time in the very presence of God. I don't care if you're leading your kids at home or if you're leading your friends at work. Leadership is hard. Great picture. So you talk about fireworks, right? The Sarah Joshua's ministry ministry there in Exodus. At some level, I'm just certain that somewhere in the midst of all those explosive events, Joshua's got to be asking this question still, how, how do I do this? Every time something happens, how do I do this? What do I do? We move into the book of Numbers next. The book of uh, Numbers is uh, fascinating. Um, I believe the book of Numbers is wrongly titled. Don't throw me out for heresy. Um, I think it's wrongly titled. I, I, you know, who wants to read a book entitled Numbers anyways, unless you're an accountant? Okay. We've got a few of you here. I'm not picking on you specifically, but I am. I mean, I know y'all want to read that book because it's named Numbers, but I just don't know many people who are like, oh, Book of Numbers. I'm just like, oh, that's my nightly reading. I want to go there for sure. I think it's wrongly titled. I don't think it's the best title. I think a better title for the Book of Numbers is actually the older Hebrew version, the title In the Wilderness. Now, how about that? In the Wilderness, what does that make you think about? That makes me think about the hobbit smoking his little pipe, right? His free little feet, and they're like trudging through the wilderness, trying to get that rain or whatever they're doing in that movie, right? Dragons and bad guys and that. Now that book I want to read. Okay. I want to read that in the wilderness. That sounds fascinating to me. Numbers, not so much. So I, I, I would probably choose that title uh, for, for the book. Um, it's really... Um, it's really less of an account of numerical lists anyways. There are a few numerical lists in the book. But really, that book is uh, it's a picture of, of, of where God's uh, people 
After rebellion, they're wandering around in the wilderness for how many years? Who knows? 40. 40 years. That's a long time to wander around as a consequence for your rebellion, right? Nothing really happening in those 40 years. Just wandering around, learning lessons from rebellion. How do you do that? How do you wander around in the wilderness when seemingly nothing is happening, especially after you just came out of an episode like, like people got wiped out because of their rebellion, you know, back in previous book. So, I mean, how do you do this? How does Joshua do this? see a couple of different things um, in the book of Numbers. Um, Joshua is there with Moses when Moses selects 70 leaders to help lead the people. Moses can't handle it on his own anymore because he's not what? Superhuman. He needs the help. We need to remember that in leadership. Leadership is about teamwork, working together as a family, right? So Moses selects 70 leaders. God gives the same spirit to those 70 leaders so they can help lead. Joshua, I think, gets very uncomfortable in uh, Numbers 11 um, because some of those leaders start to prophesy. They start to exert some gift use. Uh, They start to participate, right, in the mission of God. They start to participate in the family of God. Um, And uh, and so Joshua gets a bit uncomfortable, and Moses basically corrects him, basically rebukes him. He's like, hey, I'm not worried about anybody stealing the limelight from me here. Like, uh, I wish that all people would prophesy like this. Think of what Moses says in Numbers 11. So, again, another great leadership development moment in Joshua's life. Later on, uh, you see Joshua uh, being selected as one of the 12 spies. This is a story that most of us may be familiar with if you spent some time in the Bible. Uh, he's been selected as one of the 12 spies, supposed to go check out the promised land. Okay, So God's been promising um, something to the patriarchs all throughout the first five books of the Bible. And the promise has basically been, hey, um, you're going to be a nation. Uh, you're going to have a land that belongs to you forever. And your seed, your, your children are going to be so numerous that uh, it's going to be like stars of the sky, right? Or sands, uh, grains of sand on the beach. It started with, with, uh, with Abraham. Um, actually, I think the promise goes all the way back to the garden. But we'll get into that another time. Um, this promise has been coming along forever. So for a long time, um, the nation of Israel has been looking forward to the promise, and it's going to be their place that they can call home. This is going to be God's presence with his people in a specific place and a specific time. Now, honestly, that's really what it means to be the church today, God's presence with his people in a specific place and a specific time. They're looking forward to this, right? Promised land's about to happen. God's like, I'm ready to let you guys go in. I think you're ready for it, right? So they sent out some spies. Joshua's one of those 12 spies. They're supposed to go out, check out the promised land, bring back a report. They're going to build this strategic plan of how to move the entire nation to the promised land. So they sent out these 12 spies, and uh, 10 of them bring back this really bad report. Oh, woe is me. There's, there's giants in the land. We shouldn't go yet. Right? Only two of those 12 spies bring back a good report. That's Joshua and Caleb. And they come back and they're like, what? Giants? Those giants don't have anything on my God? Can I remind you of David? Let's go. Promised land looks awesome. Let's go. We've been waiting for this. They plead. Joshua and Caleb plead with the family of God. Ever had somebody come and plead with you on a matter? Plead with you. Go this way. Walk this way. Plead with you. Don't go that way. Don't walk that way. 
right? Have somebody plead with you on a matter? Joshua and Caleb pled with the family of God, and Israel just doesn't get it. Over and over and over again throughout the story, Israel just doesn't get it, which gives me some comfort when I don't get it, right? God still loves these people. They just don't get it. They, um, I, they don't know how to do it, right? What don't they know how to do? They don't know how to trust God. They don't know how to trust God in this moment, so they refuse to move into the inheritance that rightfully belongs to them. Why? Because they're afraid. There's so many things that fear keeps us from. And in this instance, fear keeps the people of God from walking in the power and the inheritance that's been promised to them all along. And the consequence for that fear, the consequence for that mistrust, is that they get to wander around in the desert for 40 years in the wilderness. Why numbers is better to term and title. God even sends a plague um, in uh, Numbers 13 and 14, um, wipes out the ten unfaithful spies. So some heavy consequences for mistrusting rather than trusting in this story. You flip forward to the end of the book, to the end of the book of Numbers, and Moses is getting old and he knows he's not going to be the one to lead the people into the promised land for a lot of reasons. So what he asks God for is he asks God to give him someone that will succeed him, someone that will lead in his absence. And it's interesting if you read it, I'm fascinated by this piece. He literally asks for God to give him someone who will shepherd the people. Maybe because Moses was a shepherd. But maybe because shepherding God's family is what our chief master shepherd is all about. Not a great, fantastic, managerial systematic leader, or even a great business leader. Just give me someone who will shepherd your flock, God. That's what Moses asks God for. Interesting at the same time, and I want you to notice this. So if you're falling asleep, please tune in here. There is a a shift that happens in the story here that I think is fascinating. Numbers 27 and 32, if you were to go back and read this on your own time, as, as Moses begins to fade away, okay? Moses is starting to fade away. Joshua is beginning to come to the forefront. What you're going to see is a small, what appears to be a minor, but honestly, it's actually a massive shift in the way that God's man is going to lead God's people. See, prior to this, Moses is leading God's people as he speaks face-to-face with God. Hey, agreed? That's the primary way that, that Moses leads. And then there's this shift that starts to take place as Joshua steps into leadership. While God is still going to speak to Joshua, he's still going to lead from a place of relationship with God. Joshua is not going to lead from a place of face-to-face friendship. Joshua is going to lead from a place of trusting in the written Word of God. Moses writes the first five books of the Bible. That's a fantastic, iconic thing to do, right? And he's always speaking. If not, God is just speaking right through him. But from this point forward, it's going to shift. And Joshua's going to lead from a place of reading what Moses has written, what God has written through Moses. And he's going to have to trust in the written Word of God. And he's going to lead God's people to trust in the written Word of God. Think about that. How do you do that? 
That's a question you must ask yourself sometimes. How do I do or trust obediently in the written word of God? This book that for a lot of Christians today seems to be a theme that gathers up so much dust. How will you lead there? How will you live there? The next section that we see is the book of Deuteronomy. See Joshua and Deuteronomy. See, Deuteronomy finds the people of Israel still wandering around in the wilderness, right? And in the very first chapter, God tells Moses to keep encouraging Joshua. And keep encouraging this man who's going to take over for you after you're gone. Keep encouraging him. He's going to be the one that's up to bat really soon. Moses reminds Joshua. Fascinating here. You might remember this. He reminds Joshua <coughs> that God was with him in the past. Think about that. God was with him in the past. Numerous times. But one that was huge was when he went to war against Israel's enemies. Joshua was wildly successful. You may remember me saying that earlier, right? Here in Deuteronomy 1, Moses reminds Joshua, hey, God was with you. You had that wildly successful event in your past where God showed up and you were obedient. And what came out of that was amazing. Don't forget that that was God that did that work. And don't forget that God will continue to be with you in the future as you begin to lead on the forefront. So catch that, catch this, right? God was faithful in the past. And he has a promise regarding the future. Don't miss that framework. God was faithful in the past. And he has a promise for the future. When you think about that framework, and I ask this question, how does that truth, how does that framework, that truth, impact that question that we're always asking? How does God's faithfulness in the past, and how does God's promise for the future impact the way you ask, answer this question? How do I do this? When you ask that question, and if you just take a step back and you look at the past, you go, man, I see where God showed up. And then you think about the future and you go, man, God has a promise for the future. How does that impact how you live out that question? How do I do this? How does it help you answer the question? At the end of Deuteronomy, Moses is near death. The time for Joshua to lead is about to take the forefront of the narrative, Deuteronomy 31-34. This is the section where Moses encourages Joshua for the very first time to be strong and courageous. Be strong. Be courageous. Sounds like a great chant as you run out on the football field, not for our Huskers, but maybe our Huskers should chant that as they're going out on the field. I'm sorry, I digress. We'll come back to the story. This is the second section where Moses is encouraging Joshua. Be strong. Be courageous. Strength and courage really isn't so much about doing as it is about being. Right? Like being strong and being courageous is going to translate into actions that are strong and courageous. But you really can't fake strength and courage. You try. Bolster yourself up, make yourself look better than you really are, stronger than you really are, more courageous than you really are, but it won't last long. Right? I have this little dog in my house that thinks he's strong and courageous. Loves barking at squirrels. Tell you what, that squirrel takes one step toward him, you know, he's going back towards the house. That's strong and courageous. You ain't. I can tell because of your actions. You can act all you want, you can talk all you want, but you ain't. Right? 
His name is Max, by the way. I love that dog. My wife laughs at me because I talk to him all the time like he understands me. Something wrong inside my head. I'm pretty certain of it. <coughs> Most of you know that already, so. <laughs> so this is the section where Moses encourages Joshua for the first time. Be strong and courageous. Why? Because the Lord will be with him. Like, what is going to cause you to actually be strong and courageous? It's truth that God is with you. And I'll tell you what, if I know that I got God with me, why would I be fearful of anything? Why? And y'all know, I struggle with it. I some of the deepest levels, too. The very next words we read after that encouragement in Deuteronomy 31 through 34, the very next words that we read are the ones that we read at the very beginning here in Joshua chapter 1. God calls Joshua personally. Now, arise. Get up, get over yourself, and go over this Jordan. Lead my family into the promised land that I will give them. I'm about to give this to my people Israel. The wording of that is, is intense. It's not like, I might give it to them, it could possibly happen. It's actually a promise that says, this is about to happen. It's going to happen. It's a promise you can trust. What an exciting moment, right? You've waited your whole life for that moment, for that promotion, for that wedding day, for that day when you have a kid. Whatever that moment is that you've been waiting for, psyching yourself up for so long, where in the background you've always been asking the question, how am I going to do this when I get there? And then you're there. An exciting moment. It's also a fearful moment, isn't it? Ask, hey, do I really have what it takes? How do I obey? How do I lead? How do I walk in holiness? How do I follow the Lord? How do I trust the Lord? How do I put sin to death? How do I be faithful to my spouse? How do I overcome those giants of fear and lust and depression and worry? How do I raise my kids to love you? How do I stop bouncing from one relationship to the next? How do I stop running from my problems? How do I stop overspending? How do I stop overworking? How do I stop from curling up in a ball in the corner and just sucking on my thumb? How do I do this? It's a question we all ask. Conclusion, I think I think that the answer to the question uh, is faith. Maybe it sounds too simple, right? It's a Sunday school answer, right? Like we would give our kids a star on their chart and they would be pretty sure they were going to heaven because they got the answer right, right? I think the way that we do obedience is through faith. Let me nuance this out as much as I can. Trying to do that all the way through. I'm hoping maybe that you're catching it. I think the way that we obey God is by first trusting that he is good. But it begins with trusting God. It's trusting that he is good no matter what. It's trusting that he is loving no matter what. It's, it's trusting that he is merciful, that he is, he is present, that he is faithful, that he is the original promise keeper, and, and there's, there's no deceit in him. He is good and he is enough. He's promised you eternity in heaven where, where there will be no more death and no more sorrow and no more sin. And the proof that that promise is trustworthy, where do you find the proof for that? How will you come to a place where you can actually 
trust that that promise is good and right and true and that the person who gives the promise is good and right and true. Where do you find the proof? I think that you find the proof in the cross and the empty tomb. Don't you agree that the cross and the empty tomb is the proof that God is our eternally trustworthy, faithful promise keeper? It may be easy to look back over your life in these moments, see all of the glaring areas where you have failed to trust God. And to be honest with you, it's easier for me to stand here and try to browbeat you for all the places that you've messed up. Because we kind of war a little bit against all of the, uh, the feel-good preaching, right? All of the, the kind of the seeker-sensitive, don't-want-to-offend-people um, type of preaching. We kind of war, I do at least. I'm sure y'all have probably gotten used to hearing me that way. So then it feels easier to kind of just go to the negative. Like, hey, think about the last five times you've messed up. Y'all have heard me say that enough times. Sure. I just think that's naturally easier for us because don't we live under like guilt language oftentimes, don't we? Guilt and condemnation when Romans 8.1 says there is therefore now no condemnation. There's freedom for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? So it would be easier for me to go there. I want to go a different direction. It would be easier to look back, see those glaring areas, those areas of disobedience. Those are areas of, 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 of an evidence of mistrust. True, true. Um, obedience to God is evidence of trust. Agreed? So I want you to think of an area right now um, where in your life where you are struggling to obey God. I want you to think about that for a moment. Uh, Maybe hopefully this exercise would help teach and train us not to live under guilt and condemnation. It's right and it's good for us to think, okay, here's an area. One area where I'm asking this question, God, how do I do this? I don't know how to obey you in this area. Write it down, make a note on your phone, whatever you need to do. That's the one area. There might be multiple, just pick one. You're standing in the midst of the wilderness, right? And the giver of the promised land, he's calling out to you by name. And he's calling you to take a step into a new space of holy and obedient living. And the question has been nagging you in the back of your mind, like one of those stupid little pop-up screens, those little stupid little pop-up ads. How am I going to do this, right? Here's what I would submit to you. I would submit that, that the way that you do obedience in the present, the way that you do obedience in the present is by looking to the past with a view of the promises of the future. Follow me? You're standing in in the midst of this. And you need to look to your past. You need to ask God, hey God, not where did I fail in my past? Because you already know that, right? We we know that. Satan is so good about bringing these lists of condemnation condemnation to us, right? That's what he wants to do is say, hey, you freaking suck. Right? That's That's what he wants to do. So it's easy for us to listen to that. But the reality is God's been there all along and there's been times when somehow or another you have submitted, surrendered, and he has emboldened you and given you strength to obey. So ask God, like, God, will you please show me a time in the past where you showed up like you did with Joshua in the past where Joshua took out his enemies. But it was really God who did it. Ask that question of your past. Where have you seen him show up? And he's been wildly victorious in your past. He's been wildly successful. Why? Because he's God, right? This is what God does. He shows up and he does his work over and over and over again. You can't change the fact that that's who he is. So ask that question, man. God, where'd you show up? Where'd I see you? Where'd I see you at work? 
now uh, then look forward to right start thinking about the promises that God has given you the reality is that uh, if there's been obedience um, to God's commands in your past that'll that obedience was made possible by the God who always comes through on his promises and never leave you forsake you in the wilderness of your disobedience it sets you free to look towards the future. Oftentimes what happens in our lives is we get so stuck in this cycle of like anxiety and worry and defeat and despair. And, and it's because we're, we're stuck in this past cycle of, and this is what, what happened, and, and you're not seeing how God was faithful. Because you can look back and see instances where God has done the unthinkable in your life, uh, you can trust that he's going to do that again in your current reality. And really the flip side, again, is it's looking forward. It's not just God's faithfulness in the past. It's the future promises of God. God has promised to wipe away every tear, to remove every stain of sin, to welcome every person who has trusted in his saving power at the cross and the empty tomb into our true promised land. That's heaven. Heaven is our promised land. That's what we look forward to. This this principle so motivated some of the original founders of the nation that we live in. And that's why they hopped on little boats, right, the pilgrims, and they came over here. They were looking for a place of freedom. And just like Israel, this place of freedom is no different than the place that Israel lives in either physically. It just points to, I see every time you turn on the TV and you go, man, I just wish this nation wasn't where it was today. Can I just tell you that's not wrong to think that way? It's not wrong to have those desires. But can I tell you this? Those desires are there because you long for a place called heaven. America's a cheap substitute for heaven. Don't you think? But it's also a beautiful thing because it reminds you that you long for heaven. This is not heaven for us. Any more than that physical space that Israel was headed to. So that's what we look forward to. Joshua was a human hero for sure, right? Just like Moses, um, Joshua is just a man. Both Moses and Joshua, both men. Each of them had a date with death in the future, just like every one of us in this room. Moses and Joshua both died. But the good news, the great news of the gospel that we always land on is that while those two are waiting for a resurrection, There is one man who is not waiting for a resurrection because he has been resurrected. That tomb is empty. Jesus is a better Joshua. Jesus is a better Moses. Jesus walked out of his grave three days after he died. And before he ascended to heaven to the right hand of the throne of God, he promised something. What was his promise that you and I trust in as we look forward? His promise is to return one day for his family and take us to our promised land, heaven. That's the inheritance that we await. We live in this space, in this place, in this present time, looking back at God's faithfulness and looking ahead to his promises. So the question, how do you do this? The answer. Through faith. How do you do obedience in matters of life on this earth? <coughs> you do it by recognizing where God has made you able in the past, and you also do it by 
focusing on his promises for the future. And you do it because the God who calls you is more than able to do it. Uh, you do it by looking back to the cross and the empty tomb. You do it by looking ahead to the promise of heaven. And that, my friends, is how you answer the question, how do I do this? Pray with me. Father, I thank you. Again, for the privilege to preach your word, study your word together as a church family. And I pray, Father, over these next moments, that you would come and reveal um, more of your heart to us as we spend time in uh, praise and worship and prayer and communion and trust that you will uh, do that very work, that you would lead us um, to the foot of the cross in the doorway of an empty tomb and uh, do your work inside of us. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.